Well, good evening. I do give honor to our God who is worthy of all praise, all glory, and I magnify Him. Father, Son, and Spirit, the one eternal God, I'm grateful for the privilege to be with you this day, my brothers and sisters, for God's goodness to us in the course of the morning meetings. We felt the Lord's help, and we're grateful for that. We trust that that will be extended again as has been prayed, and God would be pleased to use His Word. I, I want to invite you as we have had somewhat of a Thanksgiving theme in light of the coming Thursday. I want to invite you to turn with me again along those lines to Psalm 115, please. Psalm 115, and I'd like to read the whole of that psalm in your hearing, and the Lord willing for us to think together about it as we consider what the Spirit of God gave to the psalmist in the way of praise here to God. Not all of the psalms are marked by a note of praise. There are some psalms that are called psalms of lamentation in which the psalmist is pouring out his heart to God. There are some psalms that focus on the kingship of God. And while they contain the element of praise, they are sometimes called theocratic psalms or millennial psalms. There are other psalms that contain uh, a note of basically prayer against adversaries because of the fact that there are those who oppose the people of God and the warfare that Genesis 3.15 outlines between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is something that is clear in a way of almost a programmatic way through the scriptures. And so in the Psalms we see that as, as the poor are set against the proud and the proud persecute the poor who put their trust in the Lord. But we have specifically those psalms that give praise to him. Psalms of thanksgiving, such as we read this morning in Psalm 100 in the Sunday school hour. Psalm 115, in some measure, I think, feels that same kind of sense or uh, uh, tenor. But at the same time, it has an added element that we do well to think about. Uh, we'll see that as we read, maybe, and then if not, as we read, as we would open it together after reading. Look with me at Psalm 115, please, and uh, we begin at verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. 
the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. We trust that our God will add his blessing to his word as we think together about it tonight and consider it this call to praise him. And this well, as well, this sense of the blessing that we receive from him. I love what is often found in the scriptures, a dual sense of being blessed and of blessing. We bless Him, but we bless Him because He has blessed us. And we magnify Him because He has been pleased to shower us with benefits. And in some measure we see that reflected, I believe, in the words of Psalm 115. May we again go to our God and ask Him to bless His Word, though, as we think together again upon it. Father, we look to You in the name of Thy worthy Son once again. For His sake we pray, forgive our sins. And Father, for His sake, by Thy Spirit we pray, quicken our minds, our understanding, and our hearts as we look to Thy written Word. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of gathering with Thy people this day. We thank You for the morning services, the Sunday school hour, and the 11 o'clock worship time. Thank You, Father, for this evening now as we look again to Thy Word of Truth. Father, we ask You to bless that Word to our soul and to benefit us, Father, especially in the light of what we observe as a national holiday this Thursday. Father, we pray for a real and genuine Thanksgiving Day in our country. Father, though many in our country do not know Thee, we pray especially in our lives that there might be genuine Thanksgiving real, flowing by thy Spirit through us and from us so that we would be a people who would glorify you. Father, we ask that you would help us to do that daily. We thank you that we're not restricted to the fourth Thursday of November. We thank you, Father, that every day can be thanksgiving for us and as well by thy grace every day can be thanksgiving. Father, I pray work in me that it be so. And work in my brothers and sisters here tonight and any who listen remotely, Lord, we pray that you would grant us all to be those who, realizing we are blessed, we would be engaged in blessing you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we look at these words of Psalm 115 tonight by way of a title, I would give you from those opening words of Psalm 115, Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, O Lord. But if I could give you another title, I often like to use hymn titles for my titles. That's not stealing, it's just borrowing. But it's a good kind of borrowing because there's so many good hymns that express the hearts of God's people. I'd like to give you this, All Hail the Pyre. And many of you will understand and know that comes from a hymn extolled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. 
and crowned him Lord of all. And there is that thought of recognizing here the supremacy of our God within these words. And we see the truth of God's sovereignty, the truth of God's kingship displayed here in Psalm 115. It's indeed something we find throughout the scriptures. It fills the scriptures, but it also fills the book of Psalms. It, it fills the Psalter, this Sefer Tehillim, as its Hebrew name is, this book of praises. Because there's that recognition of the one who is genuinely king. And as we said this morning in looking at Psalm 113, it is indeed in our day, in our land, in our own lives, in the churches of the Lord, and in Christendom at large, it's time, proper time, for a God focus. Proper time to recognize Him. Proper time to to have that focus on the living God, the God of the Scriptures. It's been my privilege for a number of years to participate in a conference that was begun by our preacher friend Dennis Ward, whom we mentioned from time to time. It's continued down in Chattanooga. And one of the focuses that it had over the course of the years that Brother Ward was moderator and host pastor, and it's continued, spilled over, into is the God of the Bible the God of the Bible and and that's what we need to realize as God's people sometimes when we talk about God with other folk they might talk about their faith in God or they might talk about their belief in God but they may not have the same God in mind because when we, when we talk a little bit about the God of the Bible and they start telling us about their God, it seems there may be a large gap there. That was recognized in David's day as we see what we do in Psalm 115. If you would notice, brothers and sisters, that, and if I may, let me illustrate what we think about regarding that or say about that in, in light of Psalm 115 and otherwise. When I was a... Uh, I believe a junior high school student. And I have to tell you, that's been a long time ago. I'm looking at 63 on Thursday. I appreciate the country having a national holiday on my birthday. (laughs) Thanksgiving Day will fall on November 25th. Last time it should have done that, we had a leap year and it it left from Wednesday to Friday, but this year it's fallen on Thursday, so I'm glad to have a big, full, robust turkey meal and maybe some ham as well on my birthday. But brothers and sisters, when I was a young man and I was in junior high school, there was a song that was popular. It really wasn't a song, it was more a monologue. It had a a song chorus with it. It was called Desiderata. It was said to have been found in a church in Baltimore years ago, but actually it was written by a man named Max Ehrman in 1927. Some of you may remember it. It began like this. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste. And it went on with that monologue for some time. And it said this in the course of it. Listen to these words. Be at peace with God, whatever you conceive Him to be. Be at peace with God, whatever you conceive Him to be. That, brothers and sisters, won't pass muster with this book, which is God's self-revelation. We aren't left to conceive Him to be anything. 
Rather, He has declared to us what He is in the Word of Truth. And what we as His creatures should do, moral, rational creatures, is bow to what He said. And if we don't bow, we better beware. There's a lot of difference between those two words with B and W in them. Bow or beware. But we are not left to our own conception about who God is. And that is clear. And in being made clear in these words of Psalm 115, what is clear is that men do have their conception of God. And they may be at peace with that God, but woe be unto them in that situation. Look with me please at the psalm. And if you will, in those opening verses, verses 1 through 3, I'd ask you to think with me about, (coughs) excuse me please, a confession flowing out of concern. In those words of verses 1 through 3 we read, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore, that is why, should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. These words are words again that are marked by confession, but the confession, it seems, flows out of a concern. The concern was, why should the heathen say, Where is now their God? The heathen refers to the nations. For those in Israel, it would have been the Gentile nations. It would have been those outside the commonwealth of Israel who did not have the revelation of God that the Jews possessed in the Old Testament Scriptures, beginning with the law, the Torah first of all, and then in the successive books that God gave by inspiration to His prophets. And and they had in those books a revelation of God But for the nations outside of Israel, there wasn't that awareness. There wasn't that shared understanding. Now, there should have been, because Romans 1 makes clear that God's invisible power and Godhead are witnessed by the things that are made. And that again, as we mentioned this morning, creation bears revelation of who God is. When someone looks at the world, looks at the stars, looks at the cosmos, this ordered system that's been made, they ought to come away saying, someone with infinite power and infinite wisdom made this world, and he's also distinct from the world. He can't be what he made. That ought to be two deductions that men naturally come away with concerning this world. But sadly, it's not. The nations, they would have asked. Now we don't know that David wrote this psalm, but we can only imagine in his situation as he fled, especially from Saul. You remember at one point he went among the Philistines and as he found himself uh, entrapped in Gath, one of the Philistine cities, and they said, is this not David of whom they say Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands? And David kind of began to scratch his head and think, boy, I shouldn't have done this. I've jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. And the Bible tells us that David began to let spittle 
dripped down his beard and he began to scratch on the gate of the walls of the city like a crazy man and the king of Gath said do I need mad men and he let David go and David wrote Psalm 34 in response to that great psalm I will bless the Lord at all times but I'm sure for David by the way sometimes beards will catch stuff Terry told me last night I had something in my beard. I appreciate her letting me know. Or was it this morning? Never mind. It was sometime this weekend. Let's say that. <clears throat> well, David let his spittle fall down. And, and uh, he was acting the part of a crazy man to get away from the king, Achish of Gath. But I'm sure for the Philistines, as they looked at David's life, they would have looked at him and thought, this man is a devout follower of his God. They would have looked at his life and said, This man speaks about Jehovah his God. He speaks about the God who is the I Am. And it's obvious that he is loyal to him. He is a devout, pious worshiper of his God. The only problem is, where is his God? The Philistine could go down to the temple and say, there's our idol Dagon, that's our God. Or the other gods of the heathen, they could say, look, here's our God. We set him up where we want to. If he falls over, we prop him back up. If anything happens in the way, we, if he needs repair, we'll put a little more gold on him. Where's your God? That was the concern the heathens had. We, we realize you Israelites are devoted, but well, where is your God? And I'm sure it's still true. Although idolatry is largely gone in our country, I'm afraid it's returning because of nationalities that are coming into our country that are bringing that with them. But if we were to go to Thailand or India or any number of other countries, even African countries, we would find idolatry to be rife. And I think Pastor Brother Paul would probably add, if you went to Italy, even though they claimed to be Christian, you'd find a lot of idolatry there. I can remember when we went in Sutri to the cathedral, and there over it was nothing about God, but there was a word about Mary, the Queen of Heaven. We've not gotten too far from idolatry in one sense, even if we claim Christianity. And so the world looks at us and says, where is your God? And we have an answer for them. Our God is in the heavens. We've got a confession. What's he doing? Whatever he pleases. I like that answer. Where's your God? Our God is in the heavens. What's he doing? He hath done whatsoever hath pleased him. That's the God of the Bible. The God who is not restrained by anything. He's not held in or held back by what men would do. And I realize sometimes we, we can't fully fathom that because we know on the one hand, God's will is spoken of is what He's revealed that He wants us to do to please Him. On the other hand, the will of God is spoken of is what He's accomplishing in the world even though we can't see it. One is called his decretive will, the other is called his revealed will. His revealed will is what you and I better mind. His decretive will is what he's doing. And even in the actions of men who lift their fists against God, God is still working out his will. 
Now you and I can't fully wrap our minds around that, but I'm glad to know it. I'm glad to know that when Saul lifted his hand to persecute the people of God, God was waiting for that day when his son was going to appear to him. And Saul was going to bow to him and say, Who art thou, Lord? And he would answer, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he would say, Lord, what would you have me do? You see, God is working out human history for a reason. He's bringing his people to himself through it. You see... I know there's a lot of evil that goes on in the world, but in the evil that goes on in the world, God is still working over and above it. And that's why time continues and history continues. And I realize there are those who object to the coming of Christ, but people have been saying that for 2,000 years. But brothers and sisters, I'm glad he didn't come back before 1973 because that's when he saved me. You see, the long suffer of the Lord is salvation. Now that was kind of a sidebar discussion there. But the long suffer of the Lord was salvation, and I came to know him because of it. He is doing what he pleases. Now, if you will keep your place at Psalm 115 and turn with me to Psalm 135. <clears throat> we won't look at at length at this. We could, but in Psalm 135, it's interesting. <sighs> David speaks about our God and praising Him in those words that open Psalm 135. And then he says this in verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 135. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto Himself and Israel for His peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth in the seas and all deep places. Basically a statement that is very similar to what Psalm 115.3 says, but it's also an enlargement because it shows us the various realms or spheres where God is working out His will. And that is in heaven, and a lot of us would say that, yes, but then He says in earth, and then He says in the seas and in all deep places. Now, if you were to go on and read right after that, <clears throat> I won't ask you to do it with me, but if you drop down a little in Psalm 136, in verse 15, we find the words that speak of what we've seen already in Psalm 115 about the gods of the heathen. Notice it, if you will, in verse 16. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. Very similar to what we find in Psalm 115. Speaks about, we'll come to in a moment, the gods of the heathen. But the thing that we would point out from Psalm 115 is this declaration of who God is, this confession that marks them, that flows out of the concern. The heathen were asking, where is now your God? It could be, brothers and sisters, that this may not have been penned by David. Again, we're not told it may have been penned later under the inspiration of God's Spirit when the children of God and children of Israel had been removed from their land. And the nation said, where is your God now? Or it could be in the case of a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew children going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. 
Nebuchadnezzar as he was having that furnace burnt, uh, uh, fueled four, five, seven times more and commanded his strongest men to bind him so there's no way they could work their way loose. It could be as he pitched them into the fire. He said, where is now your God? But guess what? He was about to find out where he was. And he was going to call them out of the furnace. I think he called them more gingerly than he threw them in. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that our God's in the heavens. I am reminded of the story that's told about a Roman soldier back in the days of the Roman Empire. He had become a believer. And the Caesar had made a decree that all those who were in the army had to sacrifice to the Caesar. And he would not do it. Because of that, he was to be put to death. And as he was being led to his execution, one of his fellow soldiers, an unbeliever, looked at him and said, Where's your carpenter Lord now, friend? Referring to the Lord Jesus. This believing soldier looked back at him as he was being led to his death. Where's your carpenter Lord now, friend? He said, He's building a coffin for your emperor. (laughs) Child of God, We need to remember, human rulers come and go, but the King of Kings remains. He remains. And not only that, the gods of this world, they're not forever. They're made by men, which means what? Like men, they will fall. But the God of Scripture endures forever. He's the eternal God. And that's what David, I believe, or whoever may have penned these words was being mindful of in the face of what the nations ask. Where is now your God? But along with that confession, our God's in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He pleased is those words that open the psalm. I like it. We took our title from it. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. Who receives the glory? To whom does the glory belong? And this, brothers and sisters, if we understand who the God of the Bible is, it's resolved. All glory be to Him. Or as we've sung already tonight, all praise to Him who reigns above in majesty supreme, who gave His Son for man to die, that He might man redeem. These words, not unto us, they become the confession of the true believer. This is why I'm glad there's a Thanksgiving day. This is why I believe every believer ought to have Thanksgiving every day because it is not unto us that the glory belongs. It's to Him. I mentioned Brother Albine this morning whom Paul remembers. and He used to be the moderator of the Tri-State Fellowship that meets over there at Beacon. <clears throat> and uh, we, Of course, in his later years, as his health became bad through a wreck, he was unable to fulfill that duty, and then the Lord called him home. Brother Bean, though, on one occasion I heard him share when he was pastoring a church out in the country around Fayetteville, I believe near Spring Lake, North Carolina, Bethel Baptist Church. One of the men went up to New York. He was a farmer. He went up to New York on a trip, and while eating in a diner up there in New York City, he bowed his head to say grace. And one of those New Yorkers there 
looked at him and said, Do they all do that where you come from, Rube? And he answered him back, All but the hogs. (laughs) Good answer. You see, there's something inside of us that says, when somebody does you a good turn, you ought to say thank you. And if the God in whose hand my breath is daily gives me life and health, a reasonable measure of it, and clothing and shelter, grace and salvation, then I owe Him all the glory. I owe Him all the praise. And that's what David is acknowledging here, a confession that says our God is in the heavens. He's done whatsoever He pleased. And not only that, not unto us, O God, not not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and Thy truth's sake. There's the grace of God. That mercy and truth we saw already this morning from Psalm 100. That mercy and truth that are met together in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that becomes for us the basis of it. Let me mention by way of notation from biblical history and then from secular history two things that I think amplify this. I love the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. I probably mentioned it to you before, but let me just quickly repeat it. You remember the story. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He can't figure out the dream. He calls his soothsayers and magicians and dream interpreters to come. They can't figure out the dream. Finally, he calls Daniel. Daniel comes in. He rehearses the dream. Daniel sits astonished for an hour. Then he interprets the dream. King, he'd seen a tree. He said, you're the tree. The tree was cut down, but it was banded with iron in the stump. He said, you're the tree. You're going to be humbled for seven times, seven years. You're going to be put out the pasture. You're going to have hair to grow like eagle's feathers. Your your, uh, nails like bird claws. And then you're going to eat grass like a cow. So I counsel you. O king, amend your ways. Break off your sins in righteousness. Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. A year later, he's walking through Babylon. He looks and he says, Unto me I give the glory. Is this not great Babylon which I had built? You see, there's a glory war that goes on every day in our lives. Who are we going to give the glory to? Nebuchadnezzar says, Is this not great Babylon that I have built by the strength of my might? And at that point, the voice from heaven spoke and said, It's done. And Nebuchadnezzar was put out the pasture. And I love the words of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 when his understanding returned to him. You don't need to turn there, but listen to these words in his own testimony. If you read Daniel 4, you'll find it seems to have been a decree of Nebuchadnezzar as it opens in chapter 1, or chapter 4, verses 1 and following. But in chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, there in the words of verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar writes, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Listen to these words, verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? 
Nebuchadnezzar learned who he was. You see, we talk about God being king. We talk about Him being sovereign. We talk about Him being Lord. But sometimes people don't understand. Nebuchadnezzar learned what it meant. I heard about a fella. He was talking to a Texan and he said, or the Texan was telling him, he said, I can get up in the morning, get in my truck, and he said, I can drive till the end of the day. And he said, I still won't have reached the other end of my property. And the fella said, yeah, I had a truck like that one time. (laughs) See, some people don't understand what you say when you say what you say. They don't understand what you mean. Well, we say he's sovereign. What did that mean? Nebuchadnezzar found out. He doeth according to his will. Where? In the armies of heaven. But he didn't put a period there. He said, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And then he went on to ask, none can stay his hand. That's what the psalmist is saying as well. That's biblical history. Brothers and sisters, back in the history of England and France, back in the 1400s, I believe it was. I thought I had it written down. I want to say 1415. But I may be wrong. The English armies fought the French armies over in France, a place called Agincourt. The English were doomed to defeat, but they routed the French army. Henry V, after the Battle of Agincourt ended, he asked that all the English churches would have sung Psalm 115. In Latin, non nobis domine, non nobis domine. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name be glory. Henry V realized what every one of us need to realize that our victories, our successes, Our prosperity and everything in life is owing to the God to whom we should give all glory. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Psalm 115 tells us. Now, if you would, notice please, as we follow on quickly, verses 4 through 8, a contrast that I would point out, going back to Psalm 115, a contrast that is filled with confusion. In the words there of verse 4 of Psalm 115, we read, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They uh, Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Here we read of idolatry. And we see in the idolatry the picture of an idol that basically bears the image of man. But unlike man, it has nothing to animate it. It has no spirit that makes it alive. It's but a poor replica of man. But it's a good picture of false gods. Now, there are so many evidences of this in the Bible, and time is passing again. It's not my friend. The clock is not my friend. I'm sorry. I just want y'all to know that. But one of the greatest examples of it is 1 Samuel chapter 4, when the ark of God is captured there at the battle in which Eli's sons are killed. 
The Philistines capture the ark of God and they put it in the house of their god, Dagon. Oh, I love the story. When they get the ark in the, in, in the temple of Dagon, they're in Philistine country, the priests go out that night when they come in the morning, the next morning, their god, Dagon, is fallen on its face before the ark of Jehovah. And so they do what religion has to do with its false god. They have to prop it back up. Any god you have to prop up, you better get another god. (laughs) And the good news of Isaiah 46 is God says, I'm the one who carries you. You see, that's the difference between true religion and false religion. False religion, you carry your god and you prop him up. True religion... God carries you and He's the one who keeps you propped up. He's the one who, out of whose hand no man can take His, John 10 says, praise God. Brothers and sisters, they have to prop their God up. But I believe if they, God could have spoken, but remember, mouths have they, but they speak not. If Dagon could have spoken that next night when the priest left, he said, boys, don't leave me in here with this Jehovah. Boys, you don't realize how he beats up on me when y'all leave. Please leave the lights on. But it didn't happen. You know what? They came back the next day. Not only was he knocked over, but he'd been dismembered. He'd been severed into pieces. Why? Because God was showing him, I'm God all by myself. I'm God who reigns, and you put me in any temple, I don't care who it belongs to, I'm going to make it my temple. And that, brothers and sisters, is what the Philistines learned. And you remember the hand of the Lord was heavy on them. He smote them with hemorrhoids. I remember when I was a young believer, a friend of mine said, God must have a sense of humor. He smote those Philistines with hemorrhoids. And my thought was, I don't imagine the Philistines thought it was funny. I hadn't been beset with them, but I hear they're pretty tough. They didn't laugh. They said, we better send some sacrifice offering back to this God. Why? Because He had showed them that He's distinct from their false God. There's a contrast, you see, in what we see here. And brothers and sisters, as we think about that, we see a reality here that the prophets love to speak to. And I want to just point this out to you because to me it makes it so clear. In the words of Isaiah chapter 44, we find Isaiah giving a picture of false worship. And I want you to notice with me the the, the summary that begins it in verse 9 of Isaiah 44. And then I want you to drop down with me to some later verses. But in Isaiah 44 verse 9 we read this, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Here Isaiah is talking about the worshipers are a false god. And he said they're making an idol, they're making a vanity, and they've become vanity. Now that's what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 115. They that make them are like unto them. In other words, you become like what you worship. That's good news if you're worshiping the right God. We'll be like Him. Amen? But when you put your hope in a false God, 
That's what you're going to become like. And that's what Isaiah is declaring. But what does that speak of? Drop down with me to chapter 44, please. And the words in Isaiah 44, uh, verses 18 through 20. Isaiah says this again about the idol worshippers. Verse 18, For they, they have not known nor understood, for he has shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. Now, now let me give you the picture. I'm sorry before we move on. Isaiah has talked about one of these idol worshippers who's gone out into the woods. He, he, he doesn't have a lot of silver or gold, so he can't make an expensive God. He's got to go with a little more streamlined, economically budgeted God. And so he chooses a tree that he feels is going to be stout and won't rot quickly. And he fells it. And he begins from that tree to make his God out of that log, out of that stump, out of that trunk. And as he's making it, while he's making it, part of the tree, because he's feeling faint and he's hungry, he takes part of that same tree and he builds a fire and cooks him some food on it. And he warms himself. And you get the picture. The same wood he's making a God out of, he's also burning so he can cook some food. Because while he's making his God, he's getting weak. Now, God says earlier in Isaiah 40 that he's the God who doesn't grow weary, doesn't grow weak. But here's the picture. Now, against that background, God says this in verse 19 of Isaiah 40. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down in worship, that is, to the stock of a tree? Think about that. That sadly is what the contrast that Psalm 115 is painting for us. Those who worship Jehovah or those who worship an idol. Eyes but they cannot see, ears but they cannot hear. Aren't you glad our God is a God whose eye is ever on us and whose ear is ever open to us? In contrast to those false gods. But notice if you will verse 20 as we would leave Isaiah 44. He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? The person who worships a God who's no God, he's feeding on ashes. I must confess I've tasted ashes before, but I've never fed on them. And I can tell you this, I know there's no nutrition or nourishment there. But that's what those who worship a God other than the God of Holy Scripture are doing. They're feeding on ashes and a deceived heart has turned them aside that they cannot deliver their soul nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? That's the sadness of it. I want to give you one more verse from the book of Jonah. Again, you need not turn there, but I'll read it. Jonah chapter 2. As Jonah is in a place where I hope I'll never be, a whale's belly. Uh, I, I sometimes feel that God's preachers go to well belly you, but thank the Lord they don't go to it literally. They might go to it figuratively. And as Jonah is in the well's belly, he does what any man would do, I believe, in the well's belly. He prays. And as he prays, 
He says this in the words of verse 8 of Jonah 2. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. The word lying vanities there is a reference to idols. Empty, lying things. That's what an idol is. And those who observe them, that is those who regard them or trust in them, they forsake their own mercy. That is, they forsake the mercy that God gives to sinners through His Son. They leave that. They abandon that to rest in a lie. But notice Jonah's contrast, verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah learned something in that whale's belly. Something that anybody who's in the whale's belly is going to figure out. If you're going to get out, your salvation, your deliverance is going to come from God. I don't care if you tickle his tonsils. I don't know what you do in a whale's belly except pray. Because the only way you're getting out is if God decrees you get out. Salvation's of the Lord. And that's what Jonah learned in contrast to those who trust in idols. Going back to Psalm 115, brothers and sisters, if you would now notice the, the, uh, what we find as we conclude that psalm, verses 9 through 18, and we'll do it quickly, we see a confidence that floods the community of God's people here. Notice the call against the background of that contrast of, of uh, confusion that idol worship leads to. We're told in verse 9, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. As we read these words, brothers and sisters, we see a, a call to faith that, we, that marks the words there, verses 9 through 11. But along with that, there's a, there's a confirmation of help and blessing. And I believe the background of what Psalm 115 talks about is in some measure the book of Genesis. And a man who was called to be a blessing and to have blessing, to be blessed, his name is Abraham. God became his shield. Genesis chapter 14, some of you may remember the story. Lot is captured when the kings of Shinar, Babylon, come and attack the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. In battle, they take Lot captive. Abram hears about it and Abram calls all of those men who are his allies and they go up toward Damascus many miles and they surprise attack the kings of Babylon and Elam and the other confederate countries and they take Lot back. They win all the spoil back. God gives them a victory and on their way back to Sodom and Gomorrah to return Lot they meet a man named Melchizedek. He's a king priest. The king of Sodom shows up and he says, Abraham, Abram rather, he said, you take the spoil. We'll just take the men. And Abram says, 
I have sworn by the Most High God I'll not take so much as a shoe latchet lest the king of Sodom say, I've made Abram rich. Then Abram in the next chapter hears God say to him, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Fear not, Abram. And then God enters into covenant with Abram in that distinctive way they did it back then. They cut an animal in half and walked through the animal parts. The only thing is in Genesis 15, Abram doesn't walk through the animal parts. He sees God's symbols of God's presence, a burning lamp and a smoking furnace going through. And Abram wasn't a sleepwalker. He's in a dead sleep while God does that. And God is saying, Abram, your blessing, the blessing of the nations, depends on me and me alone. And it's that God, brothers and sisters, that we're called to trust in here. Confide in. Make Him our confidence. We're to trust in Him. And as we trust in Him, there's that confirmation of God's help and of God's blessing. I love the words they call us to that in verses 9 through 11. But in verses 12 and following, we have that confirmation of God's blessing. Notice it. The Lord has been mindful of us. Let me pause there and put down a peg and say, hasn't He been mindful of us? In so many ways, we think about physical and material blessings in our own land, in our own country. I have to put down a pen and say, He's been mindful of us. I think about what Terry and I have with six children. You'd think we'd be poor as Job's turkey. Now, I'm not Bill Gates, mind you. Thank God. But he's been mighty good to us. And I have to leave this meeting place tonight saying, the Lord has been mindful of us. But I, I've got to move beyond the physical and the material. And I've got to start surveying the spiritual. And when I do that, I have to say in the words of Ephesians 1, I drop another pen and I say, He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, according as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto Himself. Hallelujah! In other words, child of God, we cannot lose for winning in this battle because He's been mindful of us. Brothers and sisters, if He has you on His mind, things are going to be alright. And I'm glad. I love that song, when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. But brothers and sisters, I'm glad that long before the cross, I was on His mind. I was on His mind on the cross because I was on His mind before time began. Oh, hallelujah tonight. The Lord's been mindful of us. And because of that, verse 12 says, He will bless us. There's the blessing. And we can say in the words of Psalm 68, 18, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. I'm glad for those benefits of His blessing and redemption. And so, he goes on to speak of blessing. And even of something that Abraham learned, verse 14, the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. What did he tell Abraham? Stars of the sky, sand of the sea. And guess what? 
Hitler killed six million of them. The Second World War. The final solution, he was going to exterminate them. Guess what? Hitler's dead and Israel's over there in their land. It didn't work. God increased. God did what He promised. Brothers and sisters, He's good to His Word. And then we have that phrase in verse 15, You're blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. I just want to read from Psalm, uh, excuse me, Genesis 14 what Melchizedek said by way of blessing. We read this in verse 19 of Melchizedek, And he blessed him, that is Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And that word possessor means obtainer, purchaser, or maker. In other words, what was true of Abraham is true of all his people, all of Abraham's seed in him. We're blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. One final thing to think about concerning this confidence, and that is a connection for time and eternity. Verses 15 and through 18 say, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Now think about that a moment. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. I'm trying to put emphasis on it, as Dr. Arp would say, because, and pardon me, this is not tended to be irreverent, but there is a big but after it. I heard about a preacher who preached one time on God's big but. He didn't think about his title, I believe. But there's some big buts in Scripture, aren't there? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You were dead, but God, who is rich in mercy. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the classes followed. Drunkards, immoral, effeminate, homosexual. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. I love the butts of Scripture. And there's a great big but here too, brothers and sisters. As it said, the dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down in the silence. He goes on to say, but we, who are we, the one the Lord's been mindful of? We, who are we, the ones the Lord has blessed? Who are we, the ones He's increased? We will bless the Lord from what? This time forth and forevermore. Why? Because while we may die, we are not among those who are going to go down into silence. That is the silence of the pit. I've been bought with the price. And what does that mean? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So we're going to praise Him. We're going to bless Him from this time forth and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, I realize I get a little excited sometimes. I realize I get a little emotional. But you just wait till I get over yonder. <laughs> I haven't cut up like I'm going to cut up over there. <sighs> that, brothers and sisters, is because of this. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I love the way it's called in that hymn, Come Christians, join to sing. 
Some of you know it's come Christian song, joined to sing, Hallelujah, Amen. Well, there's one stanza, the final one, that says this, Come Christians, join to sing, Hallelujah, Amen. Life shall not end the strain. Hallelujah, Amen. On heaven's blissful shore, His praises will adore, singing forevermore. Hallelujah, Amen. Our praise won't end, just like His blessing. That's what Psalm 115 celebrates. The God who has been mindful of His people and who can bless His people. Unlike the no-gods of the world, the God who has spoken in Holy Scripture. Hallelujah. Blessing forevermore. And that's blessing forevermore, which leads to blessing forevermore. He has blessed us, so what, was she, what shall we do? Evermore we will bless Him. Blessed and blessing. That's true of Him. That's true of us. He is blessed because He is blessing. And we are blessing because we are blessed by Him. May we, as we come to this Thanksgiving, may we, with the mindfulness of that, remember Him who's been mindful of us.